0: Welcome to Bite Size Jazz, a podcast with a taste of new albums and new artists. We interview up-and-coming jazz musicians, world-renowned jazz musicians, and everyone in between about their latest albums and share short clips of their music. Learn more at bitesizejazz.com or by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening. Today we have three guests on the podcast, guitarist Michael Valleneau, tenor saxophonist John Boutelier, and bassist Clovis Nicholas. They released their first album together in September of 2021, combining their love for jazz, France, and New York City. Michael Valleneau moved to New York City in 2008 to attend the New School for Jazz and Contemporary Music. Since then, he's recorded four albums and performed extensively with vocalist Cyrille May, and he was also a second runner up in the International West Montgomery Guitar Competition in 2015. John Botelier is the 10 year co leader of the Keystone Big Band, which was nominated for the French Jazz Grammy Awards in 2020. He's also released two albums as a leader and collaborated with many notable musicians in New York City, like Cecile McLaurin Salvant and Quincy Jones. Clovis Nicholas graduated from the Juilliard School and has performed with master musicians like Herbie Hancock, Jeremy Pelt, and Brad Meldow, in addition to releasing three albums as a band leader. Let's welcome them to the show.
1: Hello, my name is Michael Valianu.
2: My name is uh, Clovis Nicholas, I play bass, and I live in New York. My name is uh,
3: John Boutelier, I'm a saxophone player, I lived in New York for the past two years which is in covid years like maybe longer and uh, we just released an album called free of a kind
0: and i've definitely been enjoying listening to the album and i'd love to hear i guess we'll just start off how you guys met started playing together michael do you want to take that one
1: yeah so um we all met obviously through just from being jazz musicians uh clovis and i have met in new york city i'd say about 10 years ago uh, we were playing from, with uh, Cyril Aimé, actually, with uh, with whom I was uh, interviewed by you not so long ago. Right. And uh, with John, we met in Paris, just at a regular session, I think, same about probably 10, 12 years ago. And uh, yeah, and the three of us were re- reunited here in New York.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what made you decide to record this album now? We'll head to Clovis, if you want to take that one.
2: That was a very spontaneous uh, decision. Uh, one day I received a phone call from uh, Michael and he says, hey, I have some uh, studio time in a month. We can do one day recording studio. Would you be interested in uh, doing something a little different this time? I said, what do you mean different? He says, uh, no drummer. Oh, no drummer. That sounds cool. I've uh, never recorded like that, but um, I was up to the challenge. And He says, I'm thinking of uh, John Boutelier the third uh, member of this band. So then it would be saxophone, guitar, and bass. And uh, we say, yeah, let's um, let's get together, bring some tunes, which we did the following week. We brought some tunes, we tried some, and we selected the one we liked the best. And uh, we did another rehearsal prior to the recording session. And uh, when we went to the studio, everything went super smooth and uh, listening back to the tracks uh, like oh that's that sounds cool yeah let's make an album out of that, so that's what gets started the whole thing
0: That's really interesting now, why did you decide to do it without a drummer michael
1: well, um, for several reasons, the first one is that I play a string instrument, and um I feel like playing especially for string instrument when you play with the drummer a lost a lot of the texture of the instrument can get lost because. The drums are great. It's a beautiful instrument. I have nothing against it, but it takes a lot of um, space in the, the sound spectrum, you know? And uh, I happen to play in a lot of situations when there's no drummer and where I can play much more with dynamics and uh, with, you know, different volumes. And I, we, I I can hear my instrument much better. And then there are things that I can uh, convey to the audience that I can't when I play with the drummer. So that's a very egotistic reason. That's the first one. And the second reason is that I just, loved um, uh, a lot of the trios that Jimmy Drewfree and Jim Hall recorded together, for example, where it's just bass, uh, either saxo clarinet and guitar. And, um, and I always wanted to record that, t- that type of trio. And, uh, and this seemed to be the, the right time.
0: Well, I think it came across really well. And I, I liked how you could hear more the inter- interaction between everybody. And uh, so the name three of a kind trio I guess we'll head to John where did the name come from
3: It came from a longer uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, long decision the first uh, choice was a tray of hearts which was one of the one of the songs in the in the in the record and I I don't know I like this uh, this uh, this name because it's kind of intriguing and it's, uh, but um, finally, it doesn't really ring to to, to 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 people because it doesn't mean really anything. So um, we decided to make three of a kind because, um, well, we are we have many things in common. I think we are um, uh, we really love jazz. Uh, all uh, of us three, um, we are French. And uh, and uh, I think it's this is enough reasons to to be called a uh, free of kind. So and we both like French people living in New York, which is uh, and also like a third uh, um, uh, thing in common that we that we share.
0: And you mentioned the tray of hearts. That's one that you chose for the album. It was a Thad Jones composition. Now the press release calls Thad Jones one of your idols, and that's a. strong term right there so what is it about thad jones that you like
3: well uh yeah i'm a saxophone player and i uh, I also do a lot of arranging and uh, and composing for uh, large ensembles uh, more in europe and in france and i don't know like uh, i'm kind of obsessed with uh, thad jones playing his arrangements when i was a teenager um, I'm always trying to, to, to uh, transcribe the more and the more of Tad Jones. I'm always trying to search for um, the, the ghost writing he did. And uh, I don't know, I, I like his... Um, Tad Jones is, is really someone who is between the Bop era and uh, really the modern era. It's kind of a, of a bridge between those two, uh, those two um, we, we, you can call it eras, um I like his textures, I like I like the, the freshness of his ideas. And um maybe I'm upset with him because um for some reasons uh, uh he's not that much documented. There is no like a book like uh, The Life and Legacy of Tad Jones. There's very f- few things and at the same time he seems to be a pretty pretty big uh um names in the terms of the how how the, the 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 how so much people went to play in this orchestra how he like he kind of uh teached uh uh so so many great great musicians so i don't know i'm kind of obsessed with him and um Trail of hearts it's uh during the pandemic i used to transcribe a uh, um a song a day or something like that and uh so i transcribed this song uh, that i think people place so I brought it to the, to the to the session
0: and I'd love to dig into a couple more of these tracks uh, let's uh, start with the first one uh, that was composed by Michael uh, Mirrors. How do you pronounce that one?
1: Yeah, miroir. It's the same, yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's Mirrors in English. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so could you tell me about the compositional process for that one? Yeah.
1: Uh, well, this one has been in the tubes for a long time. It's, uh, you know, I was just playing with with big intervals. You know, sometimes I just take a, a more intellectual concept and I just try to draw on it as many ideas as possible. And um, so this tune went through all sorts of arrangement of like, you know, rhythmic fields, tonalities and stuff like that. And but never quite worked out. Uh, so eventually I just, I just focused on just having melody, uh, this melody that, that you hear on the recording, and it was supposed to be played against just a, you know, one chord all throughout. And turned out that I just one day just sort of like recorded the melody and tried to comfort it. It turns out like the, the the blues works behind it. So it became that sort of like, you know, blues form. And um it's also called mirror because as you can hear in the in the melody, it it's um it's built upon uh different interpolation of intervals and um and those interpolations are, are, are also called, at least in French, we call them mirror techniques, you know, when you do like the retrograde, the, the, all, all this stuff. So that's why this song uh, is called Mirrors. And that's how I wrote it.
0: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of interesting how some songs, like you kind of have to take it through all those different variations before it finally settles into what needs to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's like a lot of composers says that you have to, you know, constantly, constantly, sorry, come back to, 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 you know, to the, the drawing board and until like, or like a sculpture, you know, that like chips away every day a little bit more to like a big piece of rock. And so this one, yeah, it's been on my table for like five years and it finally came out to life.
2: I didn't
0: know oh. that. <laughs> Um, and how about minor thing that's one that Nicholas wrote right
2: yes um, minor thing is a uh, pretty uh, straightforward is because um, actually to be to tell you the truth is because I was going to do a concert at the radio France. Uh, so it's a big concert broadcasted by the radio and uh, I originally wanted to play It Don't Mean A Thing, the Duke Clinton song. But I thought, well, I'm playing in for the major audience, radio, and uh, I'm gonna get more royalties if I play my own song. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what about I take the It Don't Mean A Thing uh, chord changes, and I write my own song over it? And uh, this is what I did. I had two weeks to write my own song on uh, "I Don't Mean a Thing," so that's why it sounds a little bit like "It Don't It Don't Mean a Thing." I put some of the reason of the A section. I put in the B section. I changed a bit the melody, and I I tried it out. I always like to try out my my composition. So I had a gig, and I brought it to the gig, and we we played it. Like okay, I think that works, and it, that's the the pun. That's why I called it minor thing. It don't mean a thing, minor thing. So to uh, to, to let you know about the source where I got it from. <laughs>
0: Let's go over um, another tune, the reminiscing in tempo. That was John's arrangement, I believe. Uh,
3: well, it's not really like it's um it's like a uh, how do you say that a puzzle or a jigsaw in a, in a, in uh in English. Well, uh, this is uh this is a song that um, when I was a a student in the Conservatoire de Paris, uh, Paris Conservatory. We had a teacher that um asked us to transcribe the the whole um, reminiscing in tempo suite uh so um, during my student years this was something i, I was w- working on and um he asked us to uh, analyze it and uh well Duke kidding? then you can like spend uh years in yeah um Years and years trying to uh, to analyze. So my angle was to find another version of uh, of um, this song, and actually this song has been um, uh, recorded by the great Mel Torme, uh, with an arrangement by one of my idol, my other idol, Jenny Mandel, who just happened to pass away. Uh, uh, I think during the two twenty twenty. So. That's the same thing. I, I did this tran- tran- transcription during the pandemic, and uh, I think because the way the way um, Johnny Mandel takes the song, because the song, if you originally the song is like, um, I don't know, it's Duke Ellington wrote that for the for his uh, pa- uh, mother that just passed away. It was really sad, and so reminiscing in tempo is somehow a musical study of how. How to make a memory in music, like how to make a musical memory, because you have like seldom elements that always uh, um, are played during the song, and the, the the form of the song is kind of intriguing. You know, it's really it's really Ellington, and um, I don't know, uh, and it was really interesting how Johnny Mandel and Mel Torme kind of summed up all the elements. Of the suite together to to make it to make a piece to make like a like a, like a like a song you could play on jam sessions you know and um, Johnny Mandel is also a big idol of mine and um, it was an incredible how he really put the song together how he made his uh, own song because you can recognize uh, uh, um, the, the little Johnny Mandel sounds in, in, in his arrangements, and um, I think to, to listen to this uh, to this uh, 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 version of, of the song makes you uh, understand uh, Ellington's uh, intention uh, even better. So, so yeah. So, and I think it's a, such a beautiful song with such unusual harmonies. And um, I like songs where you have like a proper bass line. Uh, you have a proper way to to play some chords. like, And you can be free within it. But it's like kind of uh, obligatos everywhere. And um, I don't know. I, I just love this song. And kind of nobody plays it. So, so.
0: Yeah, I like how you guys it's brought amazing. out some unique tunes on this album. love if you could each talk a little bit about because you both played in france and in new york so i'd love if each of you could talk a little bit about the differences and similarities between the french jazz scene and the new york city jazz scene um so i guess we'll just go in order michael then clovis and john
1: okay i'll start uh the differences it's not easy uh but um i'd say here in new york city you know, because jazz is an American music, you know, um, when you play this music, you feel, um, not the weight, but you, you feel like you're you're part of um, a bigger tradition, a tradition that, of course, has to do with the music itself, but uh, a tradition that belongs, that, that has a, a real, a big role in society, meaning that, um, at least in New York, it's easy to go to step into a random bar and see, you know, people having fun chatting, you know, people having dates and there's a killing jazz trio playing background music somewhere, like really killing, you know? And the, so that's whether that exists in, that exists in Europe, obviously, but it's, it's less common and jazz is treated more for better or worse, it's treated more like, um, art music where you go into a venue you pay an expensive ticket you sit down you you won't talk you know during the concert and uh, and you watch it like you know you like an, an exhibit piece or whatever and so for me that's a big difference because that's the the fact that the jazz has you know belongs to the everyday life um feels really great as a player and as a listener so for me, that's one of the, the big differences.
0: Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. And then uh Clovis.
2: So for me, um I would uh concur with what Michael says. As the here jazz feels part of the tradition. It's a tradition of this, this country. It's everywhere. You go to a jazz brunch and uh there's some great players playing. They, they all know. There's so many songs they know here that you you cannot really play if you don't know like three four hundred songs. In France, you can play if you know uh, thirty or forty songs. You get all the gigs. You're the one guy who knows all the songs. In New York, to know all the songs is like you multiply by ten, and you you're that guy. <laughs> but that's a uh, that's a big difference. There's the whole uh, language, and. Um, yeah, that's the, there's a tradition here. About the similarities, I think that nowadays with uh, internet, uh, YouTube, and um, a lot of uh, teachers in, uh, in New York, they use uh, internet to, to, to reach out to students all over the world to show what uh, they should learn, how they should work on this music. And um, it's it has become more international now. So when I go to France and I see the jam sessions from the new generation, like the millennial, I see more similarities uh, from um, each scene. They all uh, they all work hard on the instrument. They all uh, want to uh, play changes and play rhythm and uh, get involved. And um, they all watch the uh, YouTube videos that uh, were not accessible 20 years ago. Like, uh, they watch Miles Davis with Paul Chambers, they watch Coltrane videos, and they watch uh, Ahmad Jamal when he's playing uh, uh, with his trio with Ronald Fournier and uh, Israel Crosby. They, they have access to that. So it starts to make uh, jazz language and jazz music more universal. Like, for example, I have a student. He's a, he's a new student of mine, like maybe three or four months ago, and he's in Greece. And he found me through Instagram. And uh, this guy is amazing. He's amazing. He's a, he's a 20-year-old guy in Greece. He knows, uh, he knows maybe uh, in some, uh, some um, recordings. He, know, he knows as much as me because he's, uh, he's checked out this music that is uh, available on the web. And he, he figured out a lot of things. So you don't necessarily have to be in New York to be a good musician.
0: I like that. John, if you could share something.
3: One thing I really uh, like in New York uh, that's not a part of uh, the Paris culture also is that uh, you can go to smalls or you can go to um, any club. And there is an extremely large probability that a jazz master is hanging there you know like uh, i don't know like you go to smalls and uh, you name it you know uh, is like having a, having a, a beer and listening to young musicians and that's something that's not really usual in paris uh because we don't have that much jazz masters living in paris and um, and those jazz masters they don't uh, really uh, um, hang up so so uh, no hang up and no, um Hang uh, out. No, c'est ça. Hang out, hang, uh, hang out, hang, <laughs> hang out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't uh, Martial Solal. I don't think is he's, is uh, he's hanging too much uh, at three p.m. three a.m. at the Duc de Lombard. Mm. So, so you don't. You have less uh, jazz masters, and it's not in their cu- culture to 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 hang, uh, which is something that it's a uh, uh, like a normal day in New York. So. I think this is one of the main difference.
0: That's really cool. It's nice to get kind of the inside look at both French and New York jazz scenes. Um, and then for the last question, i love to talk about, I mean, how do you make it a three way conversation with each of you? Because I mean, it's different than like duo where there's just two of you talking back and forth, how do you make sure that all three are part of the conversation?
1: Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Well, just from I mean it's always the same answer kind of it's just from you know listening really, really hard. But um I'd say there like at least for me personally when I'm playing in, in this specific setting, there are things that I will pay maybe a little bit more attention to. Uh first of all is the, the hookup I have with Clovis on the bass, because you know, with not having drums where it's really important that the both of us um you know, Jim Hall used to say that Like the best, when when a bassist and a guitarist have a great hookup, they sound like one big guitar because, (laughs) you know, they don't step on each other's foot in terms of like range and texture and rhythm and all that. So that's the first thing I focus on, at least in this specific setting. And the second thing that I think is important to uh, create a, a good place for interplay to happen is to even sometime leave out more space. Than you would even with a drummer, which is kind of funny because you know, not having a drummer leaves out more space, but and you think that like you have you can just fill it up more, but it's quite the opposite for me. I feel like the more space I leave, the more you know my my two compatriots and colleagues can express themselves uh, better.
2: Yeah, I would say the the same thing. I feel like uh, in this setting is more is uh, I mean the old saying like. Less is more. And um, I have the feeling that uh, sometimes we get, when we play in a quartet with a drummer, we used to this kind of situation. And we go a bit on autopilot. So we know where to play, where to play less, and where to uh, not really, we don't really have to pay attention anymore. We listen to that so much, done it so much. And um, in this setting, there's more space, and maybe the first tendency is to fill up that space. A bit like when you talk with someone and there's an awkward silence and you need to talk immediately to make like okay, no awkward silence here. Let's, let's keep the conversation going. But in that setting, actually, it's more interesting to uh, edit yourself and uh, do less. And you realize that even if I play just one note a bar, this note is going to be more uh, uh, resonant because there's less notes around. So it's going to have more meaning and it's going to push the music forward actually by playing less. And it's very, I think it's a, it's a key uh, focus to have for us to play, Is like to play less. And uh, actually what happens is a natural uh, flow of three musicians listening to each other. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think we'll wrap it up there for today. But thank you so much for sharing about your music and your group. It's been great getting to know you all. Thank you.
3: Thank so. you very much. Likewise.
0: You've been listening to guitarist Michael Valianu, bassist Clovis Nicholas, and tenor saxophonist John Bottelier talk about their album Three of a Kind. If you like what you heard, you can find the full album anywhere you stream music. We have also included a link in this episode's description along with a link to each musician's website. And if you're enjoying the podcast, you can make sure that you never miss an episode by signing up for the newsletter. You can be the first to know about new interviews by having episodes sent directly to your inbox with exclusive sneak peeks into upcoming episodes. Head to bite-sizedjazz.com to learn more by hitting the link in the episode description. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz.